On this podcast, I interview Michael Schaefer, who's been in the supplement manufacturing business for over 30 years. Full disclosure, Michael and his company manufacture our supplements for XY Wellness and Mr. Happy, and he is so knowledgeable in it. Throughout this podcast, we discuss all kinds of what I hope you find interesting, including you know what goes into getting that final product together that you find on a shelf, from the raw ingredients to the quality control, government regulations, through that process of the machinery as the raw material and ingredients go into capsules and that finally gets bottled. I think you'll find it interesting. It will answer many of the questions that you have on quality control and quality assurance in nutraceutical supplements. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention to help you with your urological function and live better with age. Today is a good podcast because I have our friend Michael Schaefer, who, as you probably already know from the intro, he's been involved in the manufacturing of supplements for a long time. So, Michael, thanks so much for being on the Dr. Geo podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Michael, you've been in the industry for a long time. Is it 30 years or, or more than 30 years? I know you started with a long time ago with PacNut. I thought you were 30 years with PacNut. So what's your history? Why did you go into this business? Were you into some other industry and then you went into the dietary supplement manufacturing business? What got you into the business? Well, I can say, you know, that could be a little sordid story, a little colorful, but um, it, it was interesting and how I basically got into it is that there was a gentleman who knew of my talents and background and, and he was uh, working with a number of naturopathic physicians and he thought I could be helpful to the company. And so he invited me to join the team. Is that NF Formula? That was NF formulas, and uh, I remember a long time ago. Right, right, and uh, uh, and you know when I went to Oregon State, and so I knew about Linus Pauling, and so so anyways, so so with the vitamin C story, Oregon State naturopathic doctors, vitamins, botanicals. I said, why not? Let's do it. So. I know that Oregon State has the, they have a very good nutritional website with scientific references and everything on nutrients and things. Refresh my memory. What's the association between Oregon State and Linus Pauling? Well, actually, Linus Pauling, I, I believe, uh, was a professor at Oregon State for a while. And there's there's a building of uh, the chemistry department named after him. And then... Um, he also got the Nobel Peace Prize, so he's a you know very well respected, renowned uh, individual. Um, and so it was it was interesting for me is that back in 1994, I was a, actually able to uh, meet Linus Pauling before he passed away, and he was still giving presentations um, to medical physicians. And um, so that during that presentation, I was able to learn the relationship between vitamin C and L-lysine for a lipoprotein levels for cardiovascular support. So that was one of those things that, you know, I was able to meet, you know, I call it a mentor uh, in the nutritional industry back then. So that was kind of a, a very interesting uh, time and connection. Yeah, for uh, our listeners, Linus Pauling, I, I would call him the father of vitamin C. No, uh, wouldn't you, Michael? Yes, yes. I mean, a lot of the papers have been written, a lot of the information that we know in vitamin C. Uh, vitamin C is uh, one of the top vitamins. It does so much for your body, just like magnesium uh, on the mineral side. 
So you started with NF formula uh, as a naturopathic doctor. I mean, our roots are uh, with NF formula. I, I I don't know if I'm an old timer yet in the field. I've, I've been a naturopath for 20 years. I think I think I'm getting there. But even our all our teachers, uh, Dr. Sensening and so forth, and NF formula was you know the go to for us. Uh, great botanicals, great supplements. I was, I was going to say, the, so the founders of NF were, the, were part of the first graduating class from, from NCNM at the time. It was called that now, so you, uh, the NUNM. But anyway, it, it, they had just uh, uh, transferred the, the National College of Naturopathic Medicine from Kansas to Portland in 1978. So it was, it was that class of 1978, it was that group that started NF Formulas. That's right. That's right. It's amazing history. So you were with NF for how long? Uh, just about 13 years. Wow. And then what happened? And then at the time, uh, this is part of the story that you were talking about your quality control, right? So, yeah. so what happened is that I attended for over 10 years medical conferences about, you know, um, you know, nutrition and, and botanicals and health with all the other doctors right and and during that time i got you know i got a vast amount of knowledge but then i started looking at the formulas that nf formulas was selling and i learned that the products that we were selling could not be physically manufactured they weren't meeting their label claims so so i convinced the owners at the time that the only way for us to have that quality control was to start our own manufacturing operation so so I so I so we did that. We cleaned up all the formulas, and I and I helped participate in, because of my educational background and and redoing all those formulations, and then with, with better quality control uh, methods. Exactly, better quality controls with testing and making sure we had all the you know the, the products were were they are what they said they were going to be right. Right. So so after we started manufacturing. I discovered that the brand and our formulas didn't really have that much business to be manufacturing on our own. So then I learned that I can make products for other people as well. And in doing that, I created a contract manufacturing business. So NF, the NF Formulas then grew the next four years substantially where the owners decided to sell the company. They sold it. To to North Castle Partners, which what they did was they took together they took together several brands in the uh, healthcare practitioner space. They had NF formulas, Tyler, uh, Vitaline, and Enzymatic Therapy, and put them all together into a new company called Integrative Therapeutics. And there's an integrative therapeutics is a brand that's in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So at that time, I was given a choice. It was to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and run the operations there, or or not. And so and so there was another company uh, called Pacific Nutritional in the Vancouver, Washington area that needed an executive to to run their manufacturing for contract manufacturing, and they gave me the opportunity to. Uh, being owner and operator of that company as uh, president at the time, and then eventually I became the CEO. Um, so yeah, that was uh, how I transitioned from NF Formulas to Pacific Nutritional. How, how long were you at Pacific for? Um, I was there for fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, and then it sold, if I remember correctly. Well, I was. That was a funny story as well because I actually was trying to buy my partners out, and um, that deal fell through with Equity Group, and. Um, uh, 
then we didn't see eye to eye. So I decided to exit. And then, um, because I didn't like what they, my partners wanted to do. And, and eventually the Pacific nutritional sold to another company. That's correct. I see. Amazing. So you total, uh, so it's, it is about 30, a little bit more than 30 years that you've been, you've been in the business. Right, right, right. And so then they decided it was then, for, you know, with my current, you know, uh, uh, business i decided to start everything from scratch again too so yeah so that was the the whole thing so now I've, you know you, you know i have no no partners um uh you know nobody else to answer to but to but to maintain that you know the same quality uh systems and and make products for other people we, we i decided to you know start up everything from scratch and and uh and build a new business uh that would be supportive of you know the smaller companies that that need assistance in getting into the manufacturing of supplements full disclosure i think our our audience knows this but we you you do uh and your company they manufacture the supplements for XY Wellness and the Mr. Happy Men's Health line so both which i am uh, affiliated with and formulator. So that's that's our disclosure. And one of the reasons why we work with you, Michael, is because of your meticulousness uh, as it relates to quality. Let's take this from the top. So you have a bottled supplement and it's labeled and you buy it either from a store or you get it in a box from, you know, from uh, uh, once it's shipped to you, you open it and there it is, right? This, This bottle of pills. But a lot goes into (laughs) creating that bottle of supplement pills. So take us from the top as to what's that journey like from the raw material, the ingredients to that end product. And before you do that, let's define, I mean, right before we started recording, we were talking about loose terms and things that we don't really know what they mean. We use these terms, but we don't know what certain terms mean. And one of them is quality control. Is I think is used loosely uh, amongst uh, people, uh, quality control and this and that, and there's some marketing behind that. What does that mean as it relates to supplement? What does quality control mean? Well, that's um, an interesting question. You know, because uh, <laughs> quality control can mean a lot of different things. Essentially, what it, it means is that everything that you know that you do is documented and reproducible. And, 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 and that's what it really, you know, is, is the crux of what's important about this. Cause I wanted to bring up, you know, before making a product, you have to design the product. So, so that's where it basically all starts and quality control starts with the, 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 the creation of the product formula and the specifications of each individual ingredient in the formulation. So that becomes the beginning of your quality control because because ultimately what you need to do is once you have your specifications set is to not make any deviations from those specifications. Right. So yeah. So you know that, that's the sense. You know, quality control is making sure everything's being performed and done to the specifications outlined in how you set up the product formula and recipe. In other words, what, what's on the label should be what's in the bottle, correct? Correct. And, and everything, like even if you're, I was speaking of analogies. So if you're going to be baking uh, a recipe uh, for 
in the kitchen, you have your recipe, you have your ingredients, and it tells you what step by step what you need to do. And so, if you do everything like you're supposed to do, you know, as outlined in this in the recipe, you'll have a good quality product. If you make any deviations from that, you could or you might not have a, a good quality product, depending upon what's been deviated, right? And the reality is, Michael, that. You can sell supplements, right? No one will stop you from selling supplements that are poor quality, that has something different than what's in the label, unless something happens. Unless something happens to a consumer, then the government intervenes. But there is no, uh, I mean, through Deshea, there is some regulation, but no regulation. In other words, anybody can just say, yeah, I'm going to start formulating supplements and manufacturing supplements and no one will stop them. Is this the case? Well, no, that's not exactly true as you stated it, because um, to, to manufacture supplements and market them, you do need to, by law, um, follow uh, the good manufacturing guidelines set up by the Federal uh, uh, Drug Administration. Also known as GMP guidelines, right? Right. So, so you do. So in an essence, to manufacture and to market supplements it's very similar to a drug product with the problem that you know that the drug companies have with with our industry is that we don't require pre-market approval that we, we have to do ever just about everything that they need to do but we don't have to tell the you know, get permission from the government before we do it now what you're saying though anybody could do what you just said is to put together something and start selling it without having everything in place but you know, it'd be like you can be speeding down the road, but as long as you don't get caught, you don't get a ticket, right? So, but 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 good, you know, re- uh, responsible, reputable individuals are not going to be going a hundred miles an hour down a road when the speed limit is fifty-five. You're you're you're, you're you should be going fifty-five, sixty miles an hour, right? So that, but but you know, but the. the um, Responsible people are supposed to be, do things the responsible way. Right. So technically speaking, one can do that, though they're going to get into they likely get into in trouble at some point, whether it is uh, because there's. So who comes around to regulate you uh, and say, yeah, you're you're following GMP practices or, or you're not? Who, who's coming around to to your facility to to regulate? Right. So we both have you know federal and state. Inspectors. So the so the FDA does inspect uh, facilities. Uh, we've had FDA here twice, and we have no observations. And and then we also have an annual uh, state inspector come in every year just to make sure that uh, we're we're in compliance with um, the, the manufacturing requirements for you know the, the the state as well. So and then we, of course we have third party GMP certifiers come in once or twice a year, um, and our and most. Um, uh, industry clients uh, that require that we maintain and adhere to, to those third-party GMP uh, programs. So that way, you know, they, they have evidence that we are following the rules because FDA doesn't provide uh, a, like a, a certificate saying we pass. They, they only give you, you know, uh, pieces of paper and say you fail. So, so, <laughs> so the third parties, uh, the third party uh, are the ones that, give you that piece of papers that you passed. That's correct. Or, or, or at least at that time, right? You know, you know, they don't never know when you, when you, when you don't do something right, but, but, but they know that, you know, at that time when they inspect you, that you're doing everything okay, the, the way you're supposed to be. 
Now, it's every company required to have a third-party surveyor, or that's not required to have a, a dietary supplement manufacturing facility? It, it's not required, but many, you know, you know, I guess for manufacturers, many of the uh, of the clients suggest that that you know they won't, or, you know, if you don't have one, they're not going to give you the business, right? So I see that's right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so you you almost need to have it uh, just to be in business. That's how you don't have to, but to to have a good clientele, you, you do need to have it. Yeah. I mean, I, that's sort of what we did as well. We said, look, I, and, and, and there, how many third-party surveyors companies or organizations are there? I know that one of them is NSF, which is uh, probably a very common one. There's UL. Um, I think, I think your, uh, your third-party surveyors, UL, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a few more. There's SGS and, and a few others. Why it not to not to uh, 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 not to uh, get into the weeds with regards to third party surveyors. But why is NSF so popular? Because <laughs> they seem everybody's, you know, even amongst lay people are asking, are you NSF certified? And it's like, well, how do you know about these third-party surveyors and, and why are you asking about NSF? So why is NSF uh, the, one of the ones that uh, it seems like many people are familiar with? Well, they've done a good job marketing, pretty much. I was—is that what it is? Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to be disparaging anyway, but they weren't—they weren't my favorite at the beginning, and they're still not my favorite. But, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, uh, but they, but they are uh, good at you know their marketing um, because if you you know because it wasn't until two thousand and seven that the that the FDA you know finalized and mandated the final rules for GMP. And so it really hasn't been that many years. It's only been like 13 plus years, um, 14, well, I guess 15 now. So 15 years that uh, that the rule uh, for the GMP guidelines have been in place. Uh, for, and the industry has been around, you know, since the turn of the century. So really the, the rules haven't been in, in place for that long. What happened before 2007? Uh, well, is it was, it was a, the shape passed in 1994, and that was called the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act, right? Right. Tell us a little bit about that act, if you can, for those that don't know. Oh, well, yeah. Well, it was interesting because at NF Formulas, we had U.S. Marshals coming at us with guns and everything like that because we had a product called AngioGuard, which is to help with cardiovascular support. Nowadays, AngioGuard would be um, an accepted term because of the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act, which allowed companies that marketed supplements to uh, use structure function claims to tell people what the products are for. Right. So you can't you can't say this will cure you or diagnose you with anything. Uh, this won't cure your, uh, your your hypertension or things, but you can say things like AngioGuard. So this is so, will this will so support your blood vessels or support your heart and things like that. Right, support healthy heart function, whatever that that's those type of terms. Because the and that's what the part of the compromise was. That's why you see on every product label it says these statements are not have not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and they're not intended to treat, diagnose, cure, or prevent disease. That was the kind of compromise during the passage of that law, and um, um, and then you know, and in part in of that law, nineteen ninety four, right? You said ninety four, yeah. right? Yeah. And so in and in, in that you know act, there was also the FDA was given enforcement rights on how to inspect 
supplement manufacturers and and so so the, so they came up in 97 these guidelines for GMP but then it took 10 years for FDA to to finalize them that's how the 2007 then they had a a, a phase in period where the larger companies needed to be there uh need to be in place in one year mid-sized two years and small companies three years and the the good thing for for me was that because i've been an industry uh leader and participated on a number of boards and committees as as chair as the chairperson i knew what the rules were going to be because i was helping shaping the rules and so and so as 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 because i was helping shape the rules then the cup at pacific nutritional i was able to implement all the things that we're going to need over a 10-year period versus over a two-year period, right? So, so, so it made it easier um, for, for us. To, and so right when the rules came into place, I was the, one of the first companies that was um, uh, certified GMP by a third party. And so, the, so it was, you know, uh, that's why GMPs were, were, were you know, well thought to be of most importance to a manufacturer. Sure, sure, great. That that's a, that's 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 good history uh, to know wh- how we are, wh- why we are where we are with uh, with dietary supplements uh, and manufacturing practices. All right, let's just say let's give a, a a good example here. So, you know, in our product of let's say GD Toxel that you manufacture for, for us, I, there's a a variety of ingredients in it. But let's just say, let's just say there's Milk thistle, which there is, <laughs> vitamin C and zinc. Let's just say there's three ingredients. There's a couple of more, but let's just say those three ingredients. How? Okay, so here, Michael, this is the formula. The formula is um, X amount of milligrams uh, of milk thistle, um, uh, X amount of minigra- uh, milligrams of vitamin C, X amount of zinc, um, and a 30 day serving, um, let's say uh, two pills a day. So 60, 60 pills in a bottle. What do you do at that point? How do you start that process? Well, it's interesting, you know, because, you know, like I said, because of my extensive background in in product development, uh, I have the fortunate pleasure of knowing the densities, uh, you know, the characteristics of just about every single ingredient there is in the supplement uh-huh. space. So, um, and density is like literally the the th- almost like the thickness of the each ingredient. So to learn how much of it you can actually uh, fit into a into a capsule, depending on the size of the capsule, is that right? Right, particle size, yeah. particle size, and middle and molecular weight, right? And, and so, uh, and so, yeah. So, like, so then you, to, you know, then of course, with the, looking at um, the, the scientific research, then you'd also determine what would be efficacious dosages for milk thistle. Usually, you know, 160 to 320 milligrams a day. You know, vitamin C. They've actually confirmed my original proposal that between 270 to 300 milligrams a, a, a day is is optimal. So, so that yeah, but but 90 milligrams is the as the daily value established by the by the FDA, right? Which is just prevents 90 milligrams. Not to not to digress, but 90 milligrams of vitamin C a day just pretty much prevents scurvy, right? I mean, it doesn't do a whole lot more than that. Right, right. Yeah. Then of course, you know, you know, you're thinking selenium, but they have you know uh, daily value recommendations as well. So, so you have to determine what else they might be taking or exposed to because you know there are you know. Uh, 
zinc can you know be an emetic so if you get too much you don't want to you know have adverse events so you have to kind of be you have to look at some safety so you look at what else they might be taking or exposed to so you you put into what we you would believe would be uh, a basic therapeutic dose then you put that together into uh, your specifications you select your vendors and then you never change <laughs> you're selecting the vendor so let's a, a real scenario is this is a real scenario I formulate, I put it in a spreadsheet, I, I formulate the specs, I send it to you and you say, okay, and you, 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 you know, you say, okay, we, you know, we, we'll, we agree on a, on a cost. And then you go and you start getting the ingredients, the raw material, and they come in in some bag, right? They, they appear, or you have it already. How, how does that work? How do you go about obtaining, let's say in this case, just keep it simple, milk thistle, vitamin C and zinc. How, how, what's that process like? Right, right. So you know, uh, you have to begin with. The, you have to have approved a vendor. So, so we have vendors that have been vetted and approved to purchase materials from, and so we have a you know approved vendors for milk thistle, right, for example, right. And then you know, and there's different types of milk thistle. There's milk thistle powder. There's milk thistle ratio extract. There's milk thistle standardized extract, UV vis method, and there's milk thistle extract standardized HPLC method. So, so based upon which ingredient is we put in that formula, we, we purchase that material from that specific vendor. And, and so then we, then when the materials purchased and then when the product is received, we then have to confirm that what was received is what we ordered by doing. We have an internal test method for FTNIR, which is infrared, uh, near, you know, like spectrum photometry. So we, we confirm that method, and we also use HPTLC, which is a high performance thin layer chromatography, to confirm that that milk thistle is what it's supposed to be, and then we then stamp it as a QC approved and released before it can go into our inventory. Pause right there for a second, because that's actually a very good point. There are a couple of things you said. Number one is in, in botanical medicine, sometimes it's standardization. And I don't want to get to the weeds with that. But the bottom line is with milk thistle, it needs, sometimes it could be standardized to have, I don't know, a certain amount uh, of, silima, uh, of sil, uh, psilocybin or psilomarin. I, I forgot the... Well, both. Yeah, there's a psilocybin and there's psilomarin. Right. Yeah. So, it, it, so there's a variety of uh, different types depending on what, what we want. But these three bulks of of materials, so vitamin C, milk thistle, and zinc, they all look the same, pretty much. Milk thistle is yellow, vitamin C is white, and zinc's white. So vitamin C is, is, is white and zinc's white, but they have different particle size, so yeah. So oftentimes these things look the same, so you're saying, all right, we need to make sure that this is exactly what it needs to be, so we'll do some testing to make sure that it's indeed the type of milk thistle that we want. Make sure that vitamin C is the vitamin C we want. Make sure that the zinc is the zinc that we want. Right. Well, exactly. Well, prior to Deshay in, in, in the 80s and 90s, that was always a joke in the botanical industry was that it was, it was the material receiving, was it coming out, coming out of the brown barrel, green barrel, or tan barrel? So, because so, because the quality control wasn't really quite there, that's why the doctor branded products at the time were the more respected ones because we were doing more of the identity testing to make sure that we were getting the materials of the plant materials that we really wanted to use. We, it was a wild wild west back then before Deshaya, wasn't it? 
Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> so to share, not to go back on it, but it's a pretty good um, act that I think that we benefit from and many other countries don't. Is that right? Yes, I, I think. And the, I guess, unfortunately, um, the FDA and, and industry really hasn't allowed the Shea to really be fully utilized. And another analogy that, you know, that I can relate to is like my automobile. I, I can buy a new car, but I'll just, I just know where the, the gas pedal, the brake, stereo. I don't know all the features that it could do. I, I mean, I, I'm very basic. You know, I just, I just use it to do what I just need to do to just drive home to, to work and everything about it. I don't know all the functions that can, but so the same thing like is it the Shea Act. There's so many things about that that people aren't really aware or utilize that, you know, that it, it could be really enhanced and robust, but people just know about the basic stuff. Yeah. Right. 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 All right. So we know it. Milk so each, each bag or barrel of material comes with a certificate of analysis. Is that right? And that certificate of analysis tells you, yep, that's, in, that's milk thistle. And is every company required to do independent testing to make sure, or is that not required? In other words, they just look at the certificate of analysis that says, yep, that's milk thistle, and this is the type of milk thistle that you want, and take that for uh, for for value and then just start manufacturing can they do that or that's not the right thing to do no i guess you know when everybody had to be in compliance since t- 2010 when everybody you know can no, you can't no longer just rely on the piece of paper that you receive with the product right i mean that's just a printout right so you so Everybody must. This is a you know, must identify the material that's coming in. Now you don't have to use third-party labs. You can use your in, in-house laboratory, uh, but but you have to have the validated methods to do the work, and and you have to have the good laboratory practices in-house to to assure that you're doing the work correctly. So so it is easier to use third-party labs because there's less work you have to prove to the government that you're doing it correctly. All right. We know it's vitamin C. We know it's the right specs. We also look for other things, microbes and metals and things like that. Isn't that right? Isn't that part of the QC quality control aspect? Well, that's part of the specifications that you know many companies in, in the industry have to help show and, and demonstrate safety of the product. So, you know, on your on your microbiological profiles, you, you know you have your total plate count. You know for just sort of how many organisms are just potentially there. Uh, then you have, of course, then you have there your pathogens. So, you know those are the ones that are for mainly for you know to ensure safety. You know the E. coli, Salmonella. You see that in the food all the time. So, Spinach and le- lettuce have, you know, it's salad bars. They got, you know, E. coli or salmonella. You know, you know, so you don't, you know, make sure that none of that in their product. And then, then of course, like with the the heavy metals, is that you know because we know that especially you as a doctor, knowing that you know things like arsenic, cadmium, lead, mercury could have a negative effect on the body. So we don't want to have that present in the products we are selling to to consumers. Right. So that's tested for. Okay. So now we know that, you know, nothing comes with no, or some things have some metal. It's just a very minute amount because it comes from nature. And many of these things come from nature. So you can't have a zero of, of, of mercury. Is that right? I mean, it depends on what we're talking about, I guess. Right. Well, mercury is not very common, but, but, you know, but, but your lead is, for example, because of all the fossil fuels over all these decades, you know, they, you know, uh, you know, all the carbons, you know, that have fallen into the 
uh, the soil over time. If you have any plant product that you know grows out of the ground, you know that you know um, you know especially if it's a root, will have more amounts of lead than, for example, the plant parts that are leaves. So the the aerial parts won't, won't have the same concentration, but but what you know, but the plants pick up within the soil and and just yeah, whatever is in nature. It's, you know, it could be, you know, organic land, but still help what ha- happens from the air, dropping the, you know, things on the ground through through the rain droplets and, and all those other things. You, you just can't, again, avoid it. But what you, we can do what we can to um, put together formulations and, and ingredients that use the cleanest, least contaminated materials as possible. Speaking of organic What's the deal with organic botanicals? And the reason why I'm asking, because I get asked, you know, I know why one would want organic things is you want less pesticides and less herbicides and sort of um, chemicals and, and you, you want it to be as pure as possible. Two questions for you in that regard. Where are these botanicals coming from? How much of it comes from China? And from the percentage that does come from China, how do we know that those are legitimate? Because we always have quality concerns as it relates to anything that comes from China. Right. Well, there you're right. There's a lot of materials that come from China, but plants are really more to where they're, you know, indigenous. You know, there's, you know, cloves maybe from our Madagascar, you know, and, you know, then you Eastern Europe, you know, North America, South America, you know, all over the, you know, China, India, they're, you know, you know, um, yeah, because, you know, like the, the, the turmeric, you know, that's more indigenous to India. So, yeah, so it, it just depends upon more where the, the plants are more in, in, indigenous from. Now, of course, you know, like for organics, a lot of organics are coming from China uh, and, and or the U.S. Um, because in China, their government doesn't allow the use of certain pesticides and and uh and they you know and you know same thing with like the non-gmo so they they have um you know where the united states you know will use gmo seeds where the um, uh but the chinese government will not and so uh so so they so that's where you know a lot of the uh things that are cultivated using organic or non-gmo they will come from china you know so you're saying, so here we are, we're saying, uh, you know, we don't trust things that come from China. And what you're probably saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is if we think that non-GMO and organic is better, better quality, then most of these botanicals that are non-GMO and organic are coming from China. Yeah, that would be mostly true. Like because the U.S., you know, has a limited amount of uh, materials that they, you know, a, a variety of things that they, we, we, we grow on a commercial basis here in the United States. So, so that's where, you know, there's a, there's a limited supply of the, uh, from, you know, domestic source. And most of it is from international. Interesting. Uh, what percentage you think comes from the U S uh, versus other places? I'm just curious. Would you know that? I mean, I know it's a very general question, but just like from botanicals uh, in general, uh, what percent? I know salt palmetto comes from the U.S., but what percentage you think comes from the uh, U.S.? Um, I would say I would guess maybe about thirty, thirty-five percent. Thirty to yeah. We have the ingredients. We've identified them. They have, you know, they 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 passed uh, testing. Now what? What happens? Uh, not so. We need to put all these things into capsules. So what? Ha- what's the next step? So once we've got our formula designed and everything like that, so. So um, uh, to get into manufacturing, we, everything has a, a master manufacturing record, which is your recipe. And so that, and so the, you know, 
So every production batch is a direct replication of the master manufacturing record, except with the exception is that we assign it a manufacturing lot number. So the first step is to, you know, uh, weigh and then blend all of the ingredients according to the specifications of the amount of, in, the, in, in that formulation. And then once that is done, then uh, we have our quality control strap to make sure that the blend is homogenous. And then, then once we determine that, then we then move it into the encapsulation stage where the, uh, the equipment that's used to manufacture the capsules uh, is set up. And then we just put the, uh, the powder into the you know, machinery where they start to be produce the capsules. And then we stop and make sure that the, the, the weight of the powder ingredients that are going into the capsules are in compliance with those specifications. So there's specifications on every step of the way from designing the, the product all the way into manufacturing the capsules. There's, you know, every step, there's a specification that quality control and the QA department has to sign off to confirm that, that what was being performed is correct and accurate. Great. So now we got the machine going and now we're at the point where uh, the machine is putting the, the, the specs, uh, all the ingredients into capsules. Uh, let's just say, for argument's sake, we're doing 100,000 capsules. I don't know. I'm just pulling that number out of the air. How long does that process take? How many people are there watching to make sure that, yep, that, that everything is happening the way it should? Uh, no kind of um, faulty capsules. Some, you know, sometimes there are capsules that are not filled or whatever. How many people are with in, you know, in the middle of each run? And, and how long does that process take? Let's just say for about 100,000 capsules or so. Right, right. Of course, you know, everything depends because, you know, if the batch size is only 100,000, that might be on a smaller machine where it might take a day, day and a half for the manufacturing of those capsules. And with that, there'd be, you know, just a single operator. But then your QA uh, uh, process is to every 15 minutes is to record the, the weights of those capsules. Every 15 minutes. Okay. Right, right. So if it takes it, you know, so that and that could be, you know, a hundred times, you know, between you know, from start to finish. Of course, if you know, if it's a, if the batch size was greater than a hundred thousand, there's machines that can do forty thousand to a hundred thousand an hour, and so those capsules machines, you know, can you know those capsules would be produced at a much higher rate. So yeah, so so but the same fifteen minute rule for checking the capsule weight still applies. So the, in, in terms of how much time does it take depends on the machinery that you use. Correct. Yes. And then, and then after the capsules are made, then there's another, you know, uh, it's, it's a process of, you know, going through and inspecting and sorting out. All you mentioned, you know, capsules are either dented, uh, um, partially filled, um, you know, uh, tucks, whatever. They there's a you know the polisher to get all the dust off. There's a, there's another process where another two or three people are involved with in that ins- inspection of of making sure that all the, you know, the, the viable capsules are proceed to the packaging stage. So then you have the next formula with different specs coming in. How long does it take between one lot number and, and another lot in terms of, because there's a cleaning process. So you want to make sure, right. right, that there's no ingredients from the last batch in the machine. And I, my understanding is that it takes some time to clean the machine to, to then start another uh, lot. So how, what, how much time does that take? 
Well, of course, it depends on machine and also on the formula that you that yeah that you that you had before. Because some things that you know, especially if you're dealing like with water soluble ingredients. So on a, a small machine, it would take maybe four to six hours on on average with the a formula that is more soluble in water and so it can be washed and clean. But then there's some materials that are very challenging, like your quercetin, turmeric, and those type of things. It might take 8 to 12 hours to do the same same machine because it doesn't clean up as easy as something that's more water-soluble, right? So, so yes, and and of course, the higher speed machines that could be anywhere from a one to two day uh, clean and changeover process. Wow! Uh, so you know, it, that's that's an important component, at least from an interesting perspective. With everything that goes into creating the end product, right? Um, you're not using that machine. If you look at it from a business perspective, um, depending on what you're ordering uh, and what the specs are. That machine may not be used to manufacture something because it's being cleaned for six, eight, ten hours or so. Right, exactly. But you go back to my restaurant analogy. You know, you have to wash your dishes, right? So you can't just use the same dish over and over and over again. But so, so, so as a business, manufacturers just have more machines. So, so that way we just, if you only had one machine, you couldn't produce very much. You're not in business. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, so now we have all these capsules filled with the zinc, vitamin C, and milk vessel based on those specs that were given to you. Now they need to be bottled. Is that is that another a separate machine where now it's just bottling uh, uh, the, the, the the supplements? Correct. The, you know the 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 basic you know machine that is called a, you know it's called a counter will count the number of capsules that go into the bottle, but then there's other machinery that is part of that process based upon the specifications do you put in a desiccant do you put in cotton then you know then there's a machine that screws the lids on and then there's a machine that will put the the little band on the outside and then there's and then you have your heat tunnel to shrink the bands and then you have your label applicator and then you have your inkjet machine to put this up so you have lots of different machinery to do all the different little pieces uh to when the bottle comes out you're going oh there's all these things with that bottle and there was maybe eight or ten different machines along the way because there's also metal detectors, the check weighers, and all those other things that are involved on the packaging line to make sure that everything is correct. Wow. The desiccator is that little bag uh, that that's filled with what, silica inside? Correct. It's, it has a silica gel to to absorb moisture that you know could, could potentially uh, compromise the integrity and the potency of the ingredients inside the capsule. Now we know, folks, now we know that little annoying uh, little bag that's in every bottle that I've ever opened. Sometimes you, you know, you're pouring your pills in, in, in your hand and then that little bag comes out. That's what that does. It absorbs the uh, the moisture, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. We also there, there are also some uh, um, desiccants that are also carbon based. So some and that absorbs odor because and then we and then there's some that are a combination of carbon and silica. So they absorbs moisture and odor. So it, so it depends upon the, 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 the product and mostly they're, they're silica because uh, that's the main thing. But but there are additional options. So now we have our final product. It's all uh, wrapped up and, <laughs> and sealed. Everything is there. 
I've noticed within the last several years that some companies on the label are placing not an expiration date, but a manufacturing date. And sometimes the optics are not great because if it says, you know, uh, here we are, November of 2022, this is manufacturing date, you know, October 2021. You're saying, well, my thing is old. So why is that happening and, and why the change? Is that a governmental mandate? What, why is that happening? No, if, if you mention that, because, you know, because I've been in the industry a long time, I've been participated in, in, in the creation of all, a lot of these type of uh, rules. Uh, but it, it was um, when that starts, when, when, uh, when the GMPs first came out in 2007, some people started to switch over from expiration dates to manufacturing dates. And the, partly because they were being, you know, concerned about not having enough data for, for uh, stability data to, you know, to demonstrate uh, a good expiration date. Well, the, 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 when I asked the FDA about that, they, about using a manufacturing date, the, their, their, their question was like, why would you do that? It has no benefit to consumers. It's confusing and it doesn't mean anything. So, and in, in, in essence, in essence, it, you know, uh, you're not, there's nothing on the, on that product saying that the product will ever expire. And so it's even worse. It's, it's worse. It's better to have no date at all than to have a manufacturing date because the manufacturing date just tells you what day it was produced and that's it. So that is an option for industries to not have any, any dates on it. That is an option. Yeah. The expiration dates aren't a requirement at all. Now they, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the main purpose that ingredient suppliers and manufacturers and marketers put dates on products, in my opinion, is to limit liability. So, you know, because you don't want, you know, something to, you know, be on somebody's, you know, medicine cabinet at home for 15 years not to say it would harm anybody, but you don't know if it would or not, right? And so, and so why would we want to take that chance? So we're going to say, well, if you don't use it in three or four years, well, best of luck to you. It's no longer our responsibility. So, so I think that's the main reason. Um, but the, but the, but the, the secondary reason, there are some materials that do degrade over time. The nice thing about supplements is that they don't morph into something different, like a drug product. They can turn into some some different chemical, and after a period of time, and then they can be harmful. Where you know, um, you know, you know, like a B vitamin, like thiamine, will lose maybe about four percent potency per year. So you just know that you know that we when you formulate with overages, you put in you know x number of percents more. So it, so it starts out. At a higher than label claim, and then over a period of two or three years, it'll still meet label claim. And then after that three years, it may or may not meet label claim, but it's not going to be harmful. So that that's the, that's mainly the reason. So the bottle in my cabinet that's been around for four years, it, it probably lost a little potency, but but that's it. It's not harmful. And no no uh, uh, microbes are growing in there. Um, what if it's a botanical? What is there if there's plant material in there? Is it possible that something can grow in there? Some, some unwanted uh, little uh, bug. It depends upon the ingredient. Funny you mentioned that because I just did a test. Uh, we, we had these this laxative formula of just botanical ingredients, and it was um, uh, 18 years old. Right, we still tested it. It still met all the potencies for anthraquinones, and it still was effective. And it, it, you know, so it was still good. 18 years later. 
of course, you know, I don't want to be responsible for that product for 18 years, but, but yeah, but, but still it didn't, didn't lose potency because, you know, it didn't stop being that herb. That, that herb stayed it and, and it was in a bottle. It was closed. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was safe, but, but, uh, but there are some things that, you know, especially organic material, because but or, organic materials tend not to be you know like heat treated or whatever for for microbe, microbials, and so they could could potentially uh, if if there's moisture involved, that's why the desiccant's in there. Because if there's moisture in the bottle, moisture will can you know make microbes grow, and so without the moisture, then it doesn't grow, and and, and then it's still safe. Is there? Let me. Ten years. At what point? Because I, I, I see consumers panicking, and if they had it for a year, you know, sitting on a cabinet, they, just, they dump it. Is there a time for whatever reason that you would say, yeah, after a certain amount of time, five years, six years, you need to get rid of it and get a new batch, or, or not really? Basically, a good rule of thumb: is you look at the organoleptics, right? So if it smells really bad. Don't take it. <laughs> if it you know, unless it's a, starts out fresh smelling bad, right? Like fish oils. If it smells like rotten fish, it's not good. Something is off there, or there's a spill in in, in the right, bottle. right, or and or if the capsules, if they normally like say they're beige color, but now they're all dark spots and everything. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe you should do not take that one. You know, so so it's really a lot of common sense. You know, common sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah if, it, if it looks, smells, and it doesn't appear to be what it looked like when you first got it then something's probably not right 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 well we got our final product and we're taking it and we're good to go and we know that we can have it as long as it doesn't smell or look different uh we can take it for for a while though uh you know certainly as a prescriber uh, of nutraceutical supplements they shouldn't be around for too long much longer than about 30 days right Right. Well, that's the main thing too, because you know, because now you're talking about back to the main first question about health. If you want to have want to have a healthy status of your body, you need to keep continuing to take the nutrients. It's not uh, it's not a one day fix, right? Consistency. That's right. You need to be consistent. Well, Michael, I think I ran out of questions. That was wonderful. Anything else that you want to add with regards to manufacturing of nutraceutical supplements? Well, the one thing I still want to reinforce is that, you know, we, we are an FDA regulated industry. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the good people follow the rules, the bad people don't, but it's like anything in, in life, criminals are criminals. And so, so, we, so, you know, you can't, you don't want to punish the, the, the good people for, for criminal behavior. So, so we are an FDA regular, uh, regulated industry. The big national brands, they're, they're actually, you know, providing good quality products. So it's no longer, you know, um, you know, one group's better than another group because of the, the field's mostly level. So everybody's pr- making good products and, and, you know, and, you know, to take the recommendation from your healthcare professional as part of your, 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 your health regimen, uh, to make sure, and also to make sure that you add everything up because, there's, you know, there's some things that can be toxic at high doses, and this ingredient might be in multiple products. So make sure that you're not taking too much of anything. Right, right. I mean, look, in reality, no one needs an accountant, right? You could do your own accounting. But the reason why we get accountants is because more likely they'll do the right things and help us, you know, not get in trouble with the IRS. Same thing with dietary supplements. Anyone can go and buy supplements anywhere. But I always urge people, get an expert. 
there's a maintenance dose and then there's a therapeutic dose. And you don't know the difference. And naturopathic doctors, of course, and functional medicine and integrative doctors would know what that looked like. So I think it's always good to get the advice from a healthcare professional that knows knows about these things. Michael, how can people learn more about you or your business? Well, my business, I have a website, very simple. My name is my business is Michael Schaefer LLC, and my website is mschaeferllc.com. So it's uh, um, it has a little bit of history about my company and, and on there, and uh, and a little bit of what I do. And um, I'm pretty much available at all times. I answer just about every single email, every single day. That is <laughs> remarkably. True. Look, I, I, I'm a, I consider myself a hard worker. I get up really early and then I work out and then I start working, whether it's writing or things or answering emails. And, and then I go to the clinic or I do telehealth and then right, I, I work. You make me feel like the laziest person in the world every time we speak. And, and every time I call you or email you is like an immediate response. The most unbelievable thing. And it's almost like if there, if like you have clones that are working uh, with you is unbelievable. So that's, uh, that, well, we'll put your website on our show notes. And if anybody wants to be in touch with you, they can do so uh, that way. Yep. No, I'm going to try to try to be as accommodating and helpful as possible. Um, that's, I'm, I'm here to serve, you know, as, as best I can to make sure that people have the, the healthiest lives they can. Yep. And, and thank you for the work you do. Look, we, we benefit in a lot of the patients and, and, and customers that go to Expo Wellness and Mr. Happy. I am MrHappy.com. They benefit from the work you do because uh, you help put these uh, wonderful formulas together in a bottle and keep us healthy with safe formulas. Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me here on this podcast. I hope to see you uh, sometime soon at the next convention or so. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.